basically all the small businesses closing. I had to just to find a job. I had to knock on the doors, like in the office industrial area. Just drop my resumes. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum, and in this episode, we're speaking with Richard Barada, who by day is a project manager, and by night, he is a savvy buyer's agent. He shares his journey from Indonesia to Australia and reveals how he built a property portfolio in just two short years. Get ready for Barada's captivating stories of resilience and unwavering determination for success. From being a young boy in Indonesia to becoming a successful man living in Sydney, Australia, Barada describes his multifaceted journey with gusto and shares how he pursued his passion. I'm Indonesian but grew up in Perth, so currently in Sydney. So when people ask me what I do, I'm a, I like to tell them I'm a buyer's agent, um, but by trade, I'm actually an engineer in project management. Uh, but ultimately, my, my passion is in, in property and I want to be a buyer's agent full time. Yeah. I came to Perth when I was about 11, 12 years old. So that was, um, you know, year, starting year seven, um, came to Australia, lived with my older brothers and my uncle. Yep. Yeah. So that, that was a long time ago. And I did a high school over there, um, finished uh, year 12, um, did uh, university at Curtin University, I graduated, um, but couldn't find a job in Perth because I graduated during a time where mining was not doing really well. So it's funny when I was at uni, second, third year, everyone was saying, oh, it's going to be easy to find a job here and there. But that wasn't the case, you know. So yeah, I couldn't find a job in Perth, ended up yeah finding a, a job in Sydney. And that's how I relocated here. Wonderful. About um, six, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. While most people work a typical nine to five job, Barada diverges from the norm by dedicating his evenings to pursuing his passion for property as a buyer's agent. I wake up around 7 or 7.30 a.m. because I uh, sleep pretty late. So typical day-to-day will look like, you know, wake up, take a cold shower, getting ready to go to site uh, if I'm working on site and drive for about 45 minutes to one hour. And then I listen to podcasts like yours or every other, you know, either mindset or property podcast. and then I'll basically um, do my uh, project management job and I take mini breaks in between, just do all what I need to do, sorting out my buyer's agent business on the side. And then uh, normally leave site at around 5 to 5.30-ish and again, drive back home about 45 minutes, listen to another podcast um, and then back home. I have dinner with my wife. Um, and then have my coffee because that's when the, to me, that's when the real day starts because I take half an hour to one hour break, um, watch YouTube here and there, take my coffee. And then from about seven o'clock to 10, 11, sometimes 12 PM at night, that's when I do my research, do calls with, with clients, um, and repeat. Wow. So you're literally running two full-time jobs, more or less. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> but the second one doesn't feel like a job. To be completely honest, it gives me a lot of energy. I'm sure you running a really good podcast can relate. Knowing that Australia could offer great opportunities, Barada's parents devised a means to enable their sons to reside in Australia. And when the right time came, they strongly encouraged them to make the move. I think uh, this is me uh, really appreciate um, my parents. So they they know Australia is a land of opportunity. So they are already a businessman, uh, business people, bo- both mom and dad. They run a contracting business um, in Indonesia, but they know they want their kids to be in Australia, right? So what they did is they, they bought a property back in the 90s to get to that, you know, through the visa requirement back then. And it's basically because my parents told me to. And it's uh, Perth is the closest city in Australia to Indonesia. So, uh, so that's why I was there. Yeah. Wonderful. So coming to Australia, did you come with the whole family or was it just um, yourself that came here to study? So initially, my um, three older brothers were here first uh, and then I joined them um, because uh, I was doing really bad back in Indonesia. Like I almost, I don't know how to say it, but basically I almost failed year seven. <laughs> that might sound weird, but it's a thing in Asian countries. You can actually fail year six, year seven, like, you know. And then my parents thought, oh, let's just bring him to, to Australia, you know. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's what happened. So my brothers first, they live with my uncle and then I joined them. Making this bold move at a young age to a foreign country and without the presence of his parents, Barada surprisingly didn't feel fear. His parents were frequently caught up in their demanding work schedules, leaving him to navigate life independently. You know, we traveled like to China, to Hong Kong, but not much, to America as well. Uh, But that was my first time like actually moving to Australia and being far away from my parents. It didn't feel too weird to be honest because my parents are both very busy. They're both working and... I never really, yeah, they're working till late. It's, they're really hard workers. So when I was by myself in, in Jakarta, because my brothers were all already in Australia, when, and then when I came to Australia, it, it felt the same, you know, like, you know, just live, you know. <laughs> so it sounds like you had more time with your, your brothers than your parents at this point in time. <laughs> yeah, my third brother, especially, because we went to the same high school. He's three years older. Interesting. And uh, which part of Perth were you living in during that time? Uh, many places. So when I first uh, uh, um, landed, I was in Winthrop, so Melville, so a suburb called Winthrop, which is next to Melville. Went to Melville Senior High School, and then um, and then we moved to Jundalup up north because that's where my my mom bought the land back in nineties. So we we they had a house there, um, and then moved down to Canningvale. So my brother's house. Uh, so he bought a house there in 2008 or 2009 and then to Canningville again. Again, So my, my parents bought another house there in Canningville. So. It's amazing how, like as I've been to Perth um, about a few months ago and it was just amazing how beautiful it is. It's sort of like the hidden gem of, of Australia. A lot of people don't realize it but you're so close to the ocean that everywhere you drive is pretty much water and the views are stunning. Yeah, and very affordable. At the start of his journey at Melville Senior High School, Barada's performance lagged behind that of his peers. Nevertheless, through great resilience and determination, he managed to bring about a substantial transformation. 
I was really lazy back then. You know, I'm one of um, one of the laziest persons probably. But then I normally bounce back really quickly. Like when I realize I've stuffed up so much, I really bounce back. So that's exactly what happened with me. I was really lazy year eight, year nine, until the end of year 10, where I don't know what to do. And I did see my peers, like they are doing really well at high school, taking all the, you know, the science subjects, physics, chemistry, all double maths, you know, here and there. And I couldn't even take anything. And then I sort of, it's like a slap on the face at that time, I still remember. And I sort of told my teacher, look, I promise I'll do well in year 11. And, and I did. I studied really hard, easily five, six hours in year 11 every day. And I becoming the, um, you know, like the, not the top one, I wish, but top two in my, uh, in at the end of year 12. Congrats. For the whole year 12. So, um, yeah, that pattern seems to be repeating in my life throughout uni. Residing in both Indonesia and Australia has enabled Barada to observe differences in the lifestyles offered in these countries and thus develop an appreciation for the opportunities granted to him in Australia. Jakarta is a very different. I think it's a, a city with population of almost 20 million. That's the equivalent of Australia itself. <laughs> yeah, you think Sydney is crowded? Wait before you, you go to a country like, like that, like a city like that. So people everywhere, a lot of um, motorcycles. And this is just me, what's on top of my head that right away comes to my mind. A lot of pollution, and most people spend their time inside a giant shopping center. So you don't have the lifestyle um, like you have in Australia where you can just... Well, you do, but the weather is much better here in Australia. Down there, it's humid and, and all that stuff. So so that's, that's what I remember. Yeah, and it's very hot, tropical country. So... Yeah, growing up, that's that's how I feel. And there's a lot of um, people on the street. So it really changed your perspective because I think I heard from another podcast, if you live in Australia, you're already top 1% most wealthiest uh, people in the world compared to like other countries. And and I can't really, uh, I can't agree with that because from what I see in, in like a city like Jakarta, like so many people probably earn $2 a day, you know, but they're smiling, they're happy and, you know, so... That's, yeah, that's a big difference. Yeah. Despite his brother working in the same career field with numerous job opportunities to choose from, Barada found his job search experience exceedingly challenging. By background, a civil and construction engineer, right? Um, my brother did his first few, first few um, like he's seven years older than me. It was really easy for him to find a job. Like, you know, even at, so I did four years of engineering degree, right? So that's how long it took back then, now five years. But basically in his second year or third year, they got this mining companies like Rio Tinto looking for undergraduate, you know? So they're actually like hungry for for professionals, right? During the mining boom. But it was the total opposite during my time. Basically, all the small businesses closing. I had to, just to find a job, I had to knock on the doors, like in the office industrial area, just drop my resumes. Everything was closing, like all chained up, you know. So, yeah, that was only in 2015, I think. 2015, so not long ago. Wasn't that sort of um, the time after sort of the mining, yeah, the mining boom and, and also too after... 
was it um 2014 because i think i think that was the peak of the boom or just before that the boom sort of just uh, slowed down the, in the residential market so therefore that's why a lot of the people are moving out i'm one example you know i moved to sydney and then just three four five months later my my girlfriend back then followed me and then like 10 other friends that i knew followed me like just a lot of uh, migration Coming up after the break, Barada discusses the drastic measures he undertook to secure more job interviews. Use my friend's address when I applied for that job uh, because I kept getting rejected. His crazy story of working a demanding 23-hour shift. It was crazy, like 23 hours. You know, you get eat some pizzas and kebabs in a way, but basically non-stop until like 4 a.m. 4:30 a.m. when I got home, he unveils the surprising moment that influenced him to join the property game. And then you start researching online, then came across a lot of YouTubers and good ones and bad ones. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sham, and you're listening to Property Investory. After completing university, Barada secured an unpaid position at a Perth-based company. However, driven by his eagerness for job opportunities, he persistently applied for positions elsewhere, ultimately leading to an unexpected and surprising interview in Sydney. I was hungry for jobs, so I did find a job in Perth, unpaid, so basically, uh, and nothing to do anyway. So I just sit there, you know, um, talk to people. People were getting like redundancy slowly. It was basically an Australian company bought by a Chinese company. <laughs> and it's a dying company. So bad move there. So, but what I do in, in Perth, what I did was I was um, applying for jobs everywhere. <laughs> that's that's what I do. And um, yeah, I, long story short, I ended up getting an interview in Sydney. Right? And, and it's funny how I got it. Basically, I used my friend's address when I applied for that job uh, because I kept getting rejected when I think they sort of, Sydney companies probably think, oh, he's based in Perth, like, yeah, go away. And then I, I, one of my friends told me, just use you know your, your other friend's address. They are already in Sydney anyway. And I did. And bam, like in two, one or two days, I get interviewed. Like they called me for an interview, right? Yep. And what's funny is at that time, I didn't know that it was for a, a job in Sydney. And then they're saying, can you come tomorrow for an interview um, in, in the suburb called Kings Park, right? Which is uh, in Blacktown. I don't know if you know. But at that time, it was like Kings Park because um, there's a, a big botanical garden in Perth called Kings Park. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if you visited that. It's like it's the biggest botanical garden in the world, actually, called Kings Park. It was in the main part of Perth? Yes, yes, in the city. Oh, then I probably did. Yeah, because I did go and visit the botanical gardens. Yes, that must be it. And I was like, having an interview there, that sounds weird. But because I, I was so desperate, I said yes right away. And then when I checked on Google Map, the actual address, um, 42 hours to drive to, to, the, to the office. So I'm like, oh, no. And then I realized it was for Sydney. But, you know, when you really want something really badly, you will make it happen. Obviously, I didn't drive, but I quickly booked a flight the next day, night, and and flew there with uh, you know a few clothes here and there, and yeah, so that's that's the beginning of my story there. Despite being rejected for that job position, 
Barado didn't let this event crumble his spirits. Instead, he took this as an opportunity to continue to seek employment and this was beneficial. I still remember back then, um, every morning I was checking my phone because it took them. So basically, I didn't get the job uh, which I was interviewing with. So what I did was, um, and something I'm sharing this because I think people can learn from it. What I did was I went to the interview anyway and brought my resumes, like 20 of them. Yes. And then while I was in the area, I dropped my resumes anyway to these other companies, right? And then last minute, I did see like a banner, like a company banner. There's a building with the banner. And then it says the company, basically. And then I thought, yeah, maybe I'll send a text message to this because there's a phone number in that company. And then I'm saying, hi, I'm a graduate. I'm looking for a job. I'm, you know, hardworking, blah, blah, blah. And then a uh, funny story, I got another interview with that company. You know, and this is after like two, three hours dropping resumes everywhere. And that's where I end up getting the job, you know, like with, with that company actually. Because it goes to show, you know, you got to hustle sometimes. Like some people might have just gone there and just taken pretty much that interview and then headed home going, oh, well, that's it. But you, you actually took the extra action step to actually go, okay, I'm going to take more initiative to, you know, since I'm here, I may as well make the most out of it. I think that that's a great um, entrepreneurial spirit that you've got there, which I think is really, really beneficial, especially it's not just only for, for what you did for interviewing for a job, but for businesses, for property for anything yeah yeah i think that's a good a good example of synergy between luck and hard work and that you always ask right so i was lucky that banner was there it's been 15 years that banner they just didn't want to put it down and then i work hard and i sent a text message and i got the job yeah being able to embark on this new journey to sydney Barada left his old life behind and hasn't looked back. My girlfriend back then, you know, she obviously she's really good and she brought some of my stuffs. She followed me in Sydney because she was already working at HSBC, right? So, and, you know, global company, you can be anywhere. So, yeah, she, I haven't been back since. I did go back once, but only for like two days for a friend's wedding, but that's it. It's been eight years, yeah. So basically, from that time when you flew from Perth to Sydney, you just basically stayed there from that point. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's great. I didn't even say goodbye to anyone. Like, I just gone the next day and... I thought you were just there for the day. So basically, you landed in Sydney and then that was it. Yeah. Did you go and find accommodation? Did you start, um, you know, getting yourself set up? Did you have any family even in Sydney or friends? Or No family, but yes, for friends. So one, my best friend, so he let me stay in his place in Chippendale really nice area like wow have you been there yes i know chippendale very well i was really impressed yeah i stayed there for a good five six days when i got the news the good news that i got a job that's when i started looking for accommodation for the first time ever never rented before due to the busy lives that his parents had barada had to experience some important moments without their presence consequently shaping him into a highly independent individual can't speak for others, but I do think I'm a very independent person, even from the very young age, from year seven, year eight, you know, so. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to you because that's that's what happened in my growing up as well too. And my parents were very busy always working. They probably only picked me up from school, dropped me home, then back to work again. So, end up finding all sorts of different things to do, either good or bad. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell you, they didn't even come to my high school graduation. Oh, no, I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't feel sad at all. And, you know, I was like, one, I told you I, the top two in the whole high school. 
but I didn't feel sad at all because that's how I grew up. My older brother did come. Yeah, it seems like um, as we all grew up, we're probably closer to our siblings than our parents by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Barada started his career in Sydney at a challenging construction company where he had to endure long days for modest pay and even once he had completed a demanding 23-hour shift. Yeah, so in Sydney, I was so happy, got my first job, you know, but it wasn't the best job, you know, I was working 12 hours a day, you know, like it's in construction company, you know, no overtime, very low paid. But it was a good start. It's a good start. You always start somewhere, right? And and pay was really low, like 50K, I think, 50K, including super, so like 45K or something like that. Yeah, for the hours you work, six uh, Monday to Saturday, the longest time was 23 hours nonstop. Wow, that's a lot. It was crazy, like 23 hours. You know, you get eat some pizzas and kebabs in a way, but basically nonstop until like 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m. when I got home. And then I have to be back again by 8 a.m. in the morning because there was, it was a big deadline. So, But anyway, I did that job for a good one year, I think. Uh, got promotion and then I told them I'm leaving here. And then they, kept, they tried to counter offer, you know, like increase the pay. Uh, but then I think it wasn't healthy, so I decided to take another job. Um, yeah, and then do um, and then I did procurement. So this slight change in career, uh, and and yeah, all the way until until now, basically. So after leaving this job, Barada continued to work in construction, where he worked on small projects in outer areas of Sydney where the housing market was booming due to affordability. So construction is basically, when I first started, there was um, small projects like building an RMA, like and, and house and land um, developers, like, you know, in Riverston, do you know that area? Yes, yes, I do. So house and land, so lots of small size. Well, Riverston is sort of more out towards some um, Schofields, um, or it is next to Schofields, and that, that had a lot of big parcels of land out there. I mean, now it's getting developed, same as Marston Park, same as Box Hill, all that area has been developed. So, you, are you saying that they purchased the big blocks or acres of, of hectares of land and then subdivided it out? Yeah, they did. So, 80, 80 houses in total. So, in Riverston, I used to work in Bella Vista back then. So, um, yeah, so it was like a shopping center for houses, house and land there when in that area in Box Hill. It's like all men and their dogs like basically trying to sell house and land over there you know yeah hundreds hundreds of new houses yeah Yeah, i mean it's done really well like out there it's nice to see so many new housing especially it's affordable out that way compared to you know buying a brand new one in the middle or closer towards sydney so that's probably why a lot of people were able to buy those but prices have gone up drastically out that way so it has yeah after working in construction Barada eventually transitioned into procurement for hospitals and achieved rapid career growth through competence and networking. This has allowed him to become a project manager for the largest stadium in New South Wales, where some of the biggest artists and sports events occur. Yeah, procurement more like for hospitals, so in the construction, so working on behalf of the government this time around, a big massive change from 12 hours a day until like um, not much to do like in some days, not all the time, so... And that, yeah, that just gives me a different view of the of the world and professional world. So, but nothing interesting. Basically, just doing my best, doing work for one and one, one and um, one to two years, and then moved on to another department. Um, you know, um, a big jump in in career because again, 
um, when you know people in the organization and they like you and they know you you are very competent, then you just get a massive promotion at once, and then and then moved again. Now I'm with venues, um, so again, really good environment and very challenging. So now more like project management. Uh, for construction, so for the stadium now, look after the the ANZ stadium. No, a core. It's called a core stadium now. Yeah, a core. Is it? Oh, is it? Um, I thought it was called the Kudos. Kudos. Oh, is that? That's that's a different one, isn't it? Kudos is the smaller one, the indoor one. This is the big one. Oh, this is the big one. The a core. Okay. One. Wow. How how big can the core one actually fit? How many people can actually sit in that one? For like games, about eighty k. But for concert, I think 100k. Yeah, it's basically the biggest in New South Wales. Yeah, it's it's huge because I um it's funny because I've got I've got an Airbnb at the moment here, and I, I had people booking from overseas coming next year for the Taylor Swift concert, and they kept saying that they're going to a court. Yeah, Tay Tay, they're going to see Tay Tay. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that that she was coming in and, and performing at the uh, Accor Stadium, but that must be that must be huge. Then, hundred thousand people probably going to flock into Sydney to, to watch her, her her perform. I think five days at the core, so so that's five hundred half a million people. It's going to be a lot. Wow. Well, I think I'll be overseas anyway, so I don't mind not to be here. Oh, no, you're not going to watch Taylor Swift. No, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. Sorry, guys, I can't say that I am. <laughs> no offense to anyone, but uh, yeah, I'm a little bit too old for this. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. So that basically, that's what you're doing right now as a project manager. You're working for, you know, helping out with the core uh, stadium. What, what are you doing there at this point in time in terms of management? Oh, management, yeah. So last year was really busy, a, a big spend there, just trying to renew because the stadium is more than 20 years old, right? So needs a lot of love and you know uh, refurbishment and yeah it's a very iconic building so i, I love working there very good team um, my senior is really good as well he always create opportunities for me so a lot of learning um yeah so that's pretty much it fantastic continue to look after the stadium during the COVID 19 pandemic Barada's interest in investing ignited and as he delved into research, he came across influenced YouTubers who inspired him to begin his own journey of property investing. Probably um, only for the last few years, a few years. So maybe in 2018, 2019. So this is one of the things that came through COVID, right? So all of a sudden got interested to invest in shares, right? And then you start researching online, then came across a lot of YouTubers, and good ones and bad ones. Um, but there was one that stood out, um, Graham Stefan. I don't know if you have heard. He's American based. But basically, he shared how he turned into millionaire when he was 26. American millionaire, not Australian. So through properties, right? Through through bu- building property portfolio. And so the, I understand the concept of how it works, but I never really know how to get there. But I, I knew back then, you know, so... Um, yeah, so only for the last few years, to be honest, maybe 2020, 2019. Yeah. Richard Barada's story continues in the next episode of Property Investry in which he discusses the process of purchasing his first property, 
and some of the challenges he had with that? It was very stressful for standby and we don't know how the legal works. We, we had a uh, our solicitor, a convenienza, was really slow in responding. He opens up about a very personal story about a gambling issue that he faced during his mid-20s. I was trapped in this online game. It's a pay-to-win game, so mobile phone, and I easily spent almost maybe even 50k in two years. He gives us an inside look into that one piece of advice he would offer to individuals looking to begin their journey in property investing. Probably start as start early, like start when you can and don't procrastinate. And that's next time on Property Investory.